We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lukomsky coming to you from the beautiful, cool weather of Northfield, Minnesota. And this is Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark uh, coming to you from hot and steamy St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> the heat index was uh, over 100 yesterday, John. It was terrible. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Actually, uh, of course, we're recording this a couple of weeks before it'll be uh, broadcast. But uh, even in Minnesota, it's been been a hot week uh, up in the 90s. And like you say, heat index probably well in 96, 97. So we've been doing a lot of sweating here as well, Matt. Well, the poor people in Arizona, though, I, boy, it's, I don't know how many days above uh, 110, it sounds like. I, I think know, they set a record this year. 135 in Death Valley, I heard. Whoa, so, that's hot. Could be a, could be a but, lot warmer. But it's a dry heat, John. It's a dry heat. <laughs> yes. yes. I know. Just like they say, it's a dry cold up here, too. But trust me, in the extremes, you don't care how dry or wet it is. Matt, before we begin, you know, it's kind of the tradition of uh, wrestling with the basics, which, by the way, is what this show is. <laughs> I know. It's always good to put that out there. Yeah. Um, to give not only the finest theology you can find, but uh, also practical advice. And I'd like to start with some practical advice. And this is also comes from my son, Joshua. And so, you know, I'm kind of proud as a father that my, my son, uh, Josh, came up with this. So, so anyway, here, here, here's the fact that you might find interesting. Uh, you know, Matt, vitamin D. We all need vitamin D, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good old vitamin you, D. And you know how we as people, the, the normal way we get vitamin D? Well, partly from the sun, right, John? Sunlight? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you go out. Now, what, what people don't understand is our, 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 our furry friends, they, they can't get the vitamin D from the sun because they're covered with, with fur. With fur, okay. <laughs> okay. And I mean, that's the thing. We, the sun hits our skin and we absorb the vitamin D, but of course, they're covered with fur. But this is the interesting scientific fact. So, so what a cat does is its fur actually releases a chemical that when it's struck by the sun, turns into vitamin D. Is that and right? So, so have you ever noticed how a cat's always licking itself? Yeah, yeah. And you probably thought that was why, Matt. What well, were you taught as a child? Well, it's cleaning itself, right? Giving itself a bath, a good hygiene, right? Yeah, but that's nothing to do with it at all. That's how the cat gets the vitamin D, is by licking the vitamin D off of its fur. Isn't that, isn't that cool? That is pretty cool. So that's why they're slain in the sunlight. You know, they like, you always see a cat kind of sleep in the sunshine. Maybe that's it. See, I didn't even think of that corollary, but you're absolutely right. So they lie in the sun, the chemicals form, and then they lick, they lick the vitamin D off of their fur, which prompted my son Joshua to say, so if I'm low in vitamin D, I should go lick my cat? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the logical next step, I guess. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, it's it's just it made me as a father proud. <laughs> walking in my footsteps, saying the kind of stupid things that I would say. He's just a chip off the old block. Yeah, the apple didn't yeah. fall far from the tree, did it? No, no. <laughs> Again, today on WWB, if you're if you're having a vitamin D deficiency, just 
lick your cat. Lick your cat. <laughs> or, or someone else's cat. But you, may, you might want to ask the owner first. <laughs> a cat off the street. We don't care. It works, whatever the cat <laughs> right. is. Vitamin D is vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, enough of the uh, enough of the foolishness, man. I wish we were back in the studio with our sound effects. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. But we're not. We're we're still doing COVID recording from distant locations. But I, I do want to share another thought with you. So, so you know, we talk about cats. Let's talk about dogs. Uh, and the old saying about teaching a dog, uh, an old dog, new tricks. And Lynn and I have been trying to do this with ourselves because we're, well, I won't talk about her, but I'm an old dog. So we've been doing a lot of studies. We've been listening to a lot of lectures, books on tapes and what have you. Good for you guys. Uh, So we just finished this book about the Reformation and uh, well, actually about two thirds of the way through it. Uh, But I've discovered an interesting thing is we're doing this history of Christianity over the last few months. We talked a little bit about this, but I want to talk about a little further the fact that, that as Christians, we always feel we need to have something to prove that we are the chosen people of God. Okay. Okay. So, so for example, when Christianity started, we were persecuted, right, Matt? Yeah. You yeah. Know? So you didn't really need to do anything to prove that you were a true believer, a true Christian, because to be a Christian meant you were risking your life, you were risking being thrown into prison. So naturally, you must be a really true Christian. Uh, but then what happened under Emperor Constantine? You remember that part of the oh, so Yeah, so you, uh, he's baptized, and uh, along with him, many people are baptized, and Christianity becomes a legitimate religion, even the sort of the official religion of the state, even at that point. Th- thank you. Yeah, that's the point. It actually became the official religion. And now we had a problem, because how do we know who are the true Christians, who are the true people of God? Because, frankly, everybody wants to be a Christian now, right? If Constantine is a Christian, well, of course we want to be a Christian, right? Because we want to have government jobs. We want to be favored by the government. So then we had this whole trend towards people doing really crazy things to show their <laughs> sincerity. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this. We had people uh, sitting on the top of tall poles. Oh, yeah. They yeah. on these poles for months because that showed their, their true commitment. Well, you know, that probably wasn't going to strike a lot of people as a thing they wanted to do to show they were true Christians. But from this came the rise of monasticism. Uh, it started off with people being hermits, that they would just go and they would leave the populated area. They would leave people, and that showed that they were a true Christian because they would go off by themselves. Well, then they started having a bunch of peoples go off and be by themselves and start the monasteries, and we had the Franciscans and the Dominicans and all these different groups. But again, the idea was this showed that you were truly committed to the Lord, see, because you were willing to leave everything uh, and uh, go off and, and, you know, join this monastic order. Well, again, that's a problem because not everybody can do that, right? Not everybody can leave and and become a, a monk. So by the time of the Reformation, the church had really perfected this. So here were some of the things that you needed to do to show that you were a truly committed Christian. Uh, uh, number one, of course, uh, uh, acknowledge the authority of the Pope. That was the chief thing you did. If you acknowledge the authority of the Pope, see, that was evidence that you were truly the church, the people of God. Uh, the other thing that you might do is you would go on a uh, pilgrimage because there were all of these pilgrimage sites. Uh, usually they had uh, different relics from the saints, maybe a, 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 a portion of the 
the uh, robe that uh, Mary had wore, or maybe a, a thorn from the cross, or or whatever. They had all these devotional sites, and so you showed that you were a true, true Christian because you would take the time and the effort to go make a pilgrimage to these sites. And of course, the the fundamental one that got the whole Reformation started was you would buy an indulgence. Uh, in fact, that's often what you could do when you would go to these ceremonial sites, these pilgrimage sites, they would sell indulgences. And so you would buy that again, see that commitment, that sacrifice would show that you were a true Christian. So how's this going so far for you, Matt? <laughs> yeah, I think... This. Well, I'm thinking if everyone joins the monastery, society is going to be in trouble. <laughs> who's going to build the houses? Who's going to build, you know, bake the bread? Who's going to uh, farm the fields? Uh, so, yeah, like you said, you know, the monastic life isn't for everyone because society would just break down. And so then, like I said, so the church then wisely came up with all of these alternatives, uh, you know, the pilgrimages, uh, mm -hmm. the indulgences, yeah. uh, certainly the devotion to the Pope was a key thing that showed you were a true Christian. And of course, when the Reformation came in, uh, all of these things were set aside, although the Reformation falls into the same pattern, too. Because uh, immediately after the Reformation, there was a period called uh, uh, the period of orthodoxy. And, and not that orthodoxy is bad, not, not that any of these things are necessarily bad. I, I mean, it's good that we want to teach accurately what the Bible teaches. But it, it went to the extremes where people were going to all these very fine details and these very lengthy dogmatics and everything. And again, that in itself was not a sinful thing. But when people begin to think that's the sign that we are part of the true people of God because we have all of this very detailed orthodoxy. And ironically, in response to this, there was another movement called pietism, which arose that said, oh, no, 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 it's not about orthodoxy, but it is about your feelings, right? If you really feel like you've been born again, uh, uh, the, the inner light is the term that was often used back during the days of the Reformation. Or, or again, if you're a very, very moral person and you do all kinds of good things, see, there's the same constant pattern of looking for something that proves that we are, are not just Christian by name, but we are truly, truly Christian. And it occurred to me, Matt, that actually that's kind of at the heart of the uh, very first temptation in the Garden of Eden. Uh, because what does what does the devil say Adam and Eve need to do to show that they are truly like God? Yeah, Matt, uh, there? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's part of Satan's temptation. You know, did did God really say this? Yes, and he suggests what they need to do to be like God is what to eat, to eat of the uh, the fruit of that tree. Right. So, so that's always the pattern. Uh, and I was going to ask, do you see anything that goes on in, in modern Christianity that is like this? Where, where, and again, it's coming from the devil. All this thought that we have to do something to show that we're the true people of God. Uh, um, can you think of any modern examples, Matt? Sure. Can I think because sure. I can't. No, no, I, I think. No, well, first, I just think that's it's really yeah. good that uh, to look at the history of Christianity kind of through that lens. You know, why? How, how are we special? How are, can we really be sure the people of God? You know, today, I think sometimes it's just simply um, church membership. Uh, I'm a member of such and such church. Uh, and whether we go there or not, whether we really read God's word or really come to worship or not, well, that's immaterial. I'm, I'm a member there, uh, or my parents were members there. So I think sometimes we look at things like that, uh, church membership, as if it's almost like a, a club that I belong to. 
Yeah, and, and I think that was really, really predominant uh, back in, in uh, maybe the 50s. And oh, yeah, 50s, yeah, for actually, sure. It started to decline a little bit, yeah. uh, but it's still there. I, I still think you're right that people think if, I, if I'm a member of the church, or maybe even more than that, if I go to church every week, or if I say prayers every night or, or whatever, but we have, and again, see, I hope people understand. I'm not saying that's bad. Actually, as a former pastor, we do really like for people to come to church. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing. We're not discouraging that. And of course, Jesus Christ says we should pray without ceasing. But the problem is when we begin to think those are the things that show we are special, that we are truly God's people. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the Reformation, going back to the Reformation, was all about what's the thing, Matt? What's the one thing that shows we are truly God's people? Is it the fact that we go to church? Is it the fact that we read our devotions every day? What What is the thing that shows we are truly God's people? Yeah, I mean, I say our identity is found in baptism, primarily, yeah. to, to know that we are baptized. And if we want something tangible, uh, boy, look to God's promises connected to baptism throughout Scripture. And and that's the key thing, Matt, the word you use there, God's promises. See, because even that would be wrong to think that, okay, because I went and got baptized, that shows that I'm one of God's people. Mm -hmm. No, no, the fact that you were baptized, the promise that God makes with the baptism, right, that it washes away your sins, that it will give you the gift of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, uh, all that whole long list that we, we die and rise again with Christ in baptism, Romans 6. There's a whole list. That's the key thing that God said that this baptism makes us his special people. And of course, Matt, uh, what's the other wonderful thing that we do? We do regularly as Lutherans, although it's been a trouble because of COVID. We haven't been able to do it as often as we would like to. But but someone felt the desire that they even came to you specially uh, today uh, to do this. And that is what, Matt? Yeah, Holy Communion. And uh, it has been a challenge in the midst of a pandemic. But yeah, to have that desire to receive the Lord's Supper and, and how Christ comes to us in his body and blood. And again, it's not that you do the Lord's Supper, but it's the promises that Jesus makes in the Lord's Supper, that it's his body and blood, and that it's given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And these are then these outward signs tied to the word of God, that that's the assurance. But but the key thing is it's because God says. That's how we know. It's not on the basis of anything we do. It's because of what God says. And that's, of course, the heart of uh, uh, the Reformation. That we are, and Luther actually adds this word when he's translating the Bible into uh, the German, uh, where Paul says we are justified by faith uh, alone. Uh, there's nothing else that can make you a child of God, make you one of God's people, except that God has said that. And that was the problem with Adam and Eve. They, they already were like God. God had done that. He just did that. And now they thought they had to do something so they could be like God. And that's where we, we run afoul. Now I want to do a quick couple of Bible passages here that relate okay. to that subject. If you could read for us Matthew 15, uh, verses 21 through 28. All right, sure. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and give it, throw it to the dogs. 
She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So, so this idea that we have to do something to show that we are uh, the chosen ones of God, uh, it goes all the way back to Judaism, okay? Um, because if you were a Jew, you thought you were the special chosen people of God. Uh, and, and again, it was because of your birthright, right? You, you were mm-hmm. born into the Jewish faith. So, and, and of course, you needed to do the Jewish things too. You know, you needed to, to uh, make your sacrifices and, and go to temple and do all those things. But essentially, that's what made you special. So when we have this story, uh, we, we have uh, what, what, what kind of uh, uh, nationality is the woman that comes can- to Jesus? Canaanite woman. Yeah, so the disciples assume immediately what? Well, yeah, that she's not worth even listening to. Uh, she's a Gentile. She's a non-Jew. She's a, a Canaanite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the term they would use is goyim. Yeah, and that's yeah. not a good term. That, that that's like the many negative terms we have about yeah. racial groups. Yeah, and, and these so are the pe- these, yeah, I mean, in Canaan in particular, no, these are the people that you know back in when they uh, took over the Promised Land. These are the people that are supposed to be wiped out, exterminated, uh, killed even. Yeah, so we shouldn't even have a Canaanite woman, should yeah, we? Yeah. Pagan to Jesus. She, she should have, her, her whole ancestry should have been destroyed a long time ago. That was a failing on the part of the Jews. Um, and here's the thing that strikes me. Jesus seems to confirm that. He seems to confirm that the disciples' opinion is correct. Uh, if you would read verse 24 again. Yeah, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So apparently Jesus agreed. Now, what, how do you deal with that passage when, you, when you've preached on this before, Matt? I'm just wondering, because that seems like a difficult passage. Yeah, it is a difficult passage. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I knew we were going to, you gave me a heads up, you know, that we're, this is what we're going to study. And I, I looked up uh, in, a, in a commentary this verse, and, and here's what it says. It says, why does Jesus reply to the disciples as he does? Uh, with words about not being sent to the Israel's except for Israel's lost sheep, and it says, although we cannot be sure, <laughs> I always think that's funny. Although yeah. we cannot be sure, uh, the words of the Canaanite woman provide a likely answer. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. The Canaanite woman herself almost provides sort of an answer. You know, in her words, she calls Jesus Lord, right? Uh, so yeah. that 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 title of respect, right? Lord and master. But then I think even more importantly, she recognizes Lord, son of David. I think that's interesting. So this Canaanite woman seems to even recognize that Jesus is not only a descendant of David, but sent uh, primarily for the people of Israel, for those other descendants of David too. Uh, Now that's not to say he's not sent for Gentiles too, right? But at this point in his ministry, um, he is... Uh, ministering to, sharing the gospel with, revealing himself to primarily Jews. Yeah, and, and I, I really appreciate that, Matt. You're right. The very language of the woman is striking for a Canaanite, like you said, to, to address him as Lord, which, of course, is is the word that is used for God in the Old Testament. Uh, to call him the son of David, again, why would she care? Because she's a Canaanite, you know, and a son of David, of course, would refer to his Jewish his Jewishness. Um, and, and I think when we get to the final words of Jesus, actually Jesus gives us the definitive answer in terms of what makes us a child of God. Yes. But but before we get to that, I, it strikes me, and, and again, I might be wrong here, 
but I think this is actually not a statement I was sent only to the lost sheep of the House of Israel. I think it is a, a rhetorical question. Um, now, now, people would say, well, just look and see whether there's a question mark at the end of it. Well, it's not in my Bible. It's got a period. But you, you have to remember that in the original Greek, there were no punctuation mm-hmm. marks. So we we have to supply whether something is a, a statement or a question. And it's interesting that the, the Greek here uh, seems to imply that it was a question. It starts with the word ook, which usually uh, uh, is either something said by monkeys, ook, 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 or, or in the Greek. I don't know why I did that. I have no yeah. idea. It just came over me. Uh, it's usually the way that, that you're indicating a question, although admittedly it is a rhetorical question. Matt, would you like to explain to people what a rhetorical question is? So it's, it's a question that's <laughs> it's a question that uh, is asked that, that ne- doesn't necessarily require an answer to it. Right. It, it assumes. It assumes the answer. We to know prove a point. It's to prove a point. Yeah. But but I think it, it's we need to read this this way. Jesus says, was I not, was I not set only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? It's a question he's asking, well, apparently not only the disciples, but the woman as well. Um, and of course, as a Jew, you would answer that question, how? We say, oh yeah, it seems like you were just sent to the house of Israel. And, and actually, in the Greek, that's the anticipated answer, but it's actually not the right answer. Could you go back all the way to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter fifty-six, verses six through eight? There are all kinds of passages like this. Oh, in, the yeah. in fact, the original promise made to Abraham, he said, "You're going to be a blessing to all nations. The one who comes through will be a blessing to all nations." So, from the very beginning, God said this. But this passage in Isaiah is very striking in terms of the issue of foreigners. Uh, Can you read that, Matt? Sure. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And so he says, right, they're the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. That is exactly what this woman has done. She has come to the Lord Jesus. She has addressed him, as you said, as Lord. She has called him the son of David. Uh, and uh, therefore, yes, yes. The answer to that question, was I sent only? The answer should be no, Lord. You were not sent only. You were sent to all men. Uh, like you said, Matt, I think that's a good insight, too, as we wrestle with this, that at this point, his ministry was primarily to the people of Israel. But but of course, what does he say? What's, what's, what's the last commandment he gives his disciples before he ascends into heaven? Oh, yeah, because... Yeah, well, yeah, just I think it's in chapter ten. He sends the disciples out. And he says, "Well, don't go, don't go to the Gentiles, the Samaritans. Just, just go to the, just go to the lost sheep of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel." Uh, but then, like, like you were, you know, you're alluding to John at the end of Matthew's gospel. Then now it's time, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Clearly, uh, all people are included in that gospel call. And so I, I think the final words of Jesus in this text then demonstrate to us the only thing that is what makes you uh, a, a child of God. As he says, a woman, great is your faith. Uh, we're back to the whole Reformation issue again. 
And, and that's the thing. It's this faith, which, by the way, is not a thing we do. Uh, that, of course, was another error. That this, this desire that we have to have something that we can give credit for to be a child of God. And so faith became that. It became a decision you made, a choice, turning your life over to God. And again, as soon as you think that way, you've departed from the, the clear teaching of Scripture. No, it's God who's chosen you. He selected you. He's indicated the selection in very clear ways in his word and baptism and supper. And that's the heart and that's the key. So anyways, thank you, Matt, for letting me share that with you. Um, we will be back next week to talk more about Jeremiah, Matt. Oh, yeah, you bet. We've got plenty more Jeremiah. And um, so we wish everyone God's blessings. And uh, this has been Wrestling, Wrestling with, with the Basics. The basics.